Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our first season explores the hauntings of Alton, Illinois, one of the most haunted small towns in America. The city of Alton has more than its share of ghosts, haunted houses, hotels, businesses, and even roads. Some of them are open to everyone who comes seeking spirits, but many are private and close to the public. Others have been lost over the years to time, fires, and what some might call progress, while others still remain in all of their terrifying glory. While the first season of this podcast has been dedicated to the ghosts and hauntings of Alton, there is no way we could feature every ghost or every haunted house in the region. There have been scores of ghost stories that have been told to me over the years, often stories I'll never forget, and some of them were ongoing hauntings of an especially eerie nature, while others were isolated incidents and even one-time occurrences of otherworldly activity. Many of them remain unexplained to this day, but even so, a large number of eerie tales cannot sustain an entire episode of a podcast. So, this time around, we put together a special episode that I'll just call My Favorite Alton Ghosts. Alton's reputation as a booming river town created a need for a great number of hotels to be established in the city during the 19th century. According to records, one of the best-known hotels in the Riverboat days was the Alton House, located in front in Albee Streets. It burned down the first time in 1837 and was replaced by a brick building that lasted until 1870. Uh, during its days of operation, perhaps the most famous guest at the Alton House was Stephen Douglas, who stayed there during his famous Senate debate with his political and romantic rival, Abraham Lincoln. Now, Lincoln stayed elsewhere in Alton during the debates at a hotel that would later bear his name. At the time, though, it was known as the Franklin House, which had originally opened as the first national bank in 1836. Located on State Street near the river landing, it became the Franklin House Hotel in 1840. It soon gained such a reputation for travelers along the river that it was said many of the wealthy passengers would leave the riverboats that docked in Alton and would choose to dine and spend the night at the Franklin House rather than aboard the luxurious boats they put passage on. In 1858, the Franklin House played host to Abraham Lincoln during the legendary debates. He stayed there with his wife Mary and their son Robert. Lincoln lost the Senate race, but two years later was elected to the presidency. The owners of the hotel decided to take advantage of the notoriety of their once famous guest and changed the name to the Lincoln Hotel. It kept the name into the 20th century. By that time, though, it had fallen on hard times and finally closed down. It was during the years when the place was known as the Lincoln Hotel, though, that the ghost story had its beginnings. The story began with a traveling salesman, one of the scores of anonymous men who traveled up and down the Mississippi River selling their wares during the 1860s and 70s. This particular salesman loved to bring his family along on his trips. His wife and seven-year-old daughter, who had often been unhappy being left alone at home, began journeying with him from one river town to the next. They stayed in dozens of hotels, including the Franklin House when they were in Alton. During the day when her father was away, there was little for the young girl to do. So while in Alton, she would play on the staircase or in the lobby of the hotel, talking and laughing with the hotel staff. When the weather was nice, she would play at the edge of the street in front of the building, watching the freight wagons come and go as they hauled grain and produce along the old plank road, which ran from North Alton all the way down to the river. One day, though, tragedy struck. 
The little girl was chasing a ball that she'd been playing with out in front of the hotel. It rolled into the street and in front of a passing wagon. The heavy wheels passed over her and she was instantly killed. The little girl's sudden death left her spirit behind at a place where she'd love to play, the Lincoln Hotel. As the years passed, staff members, owners, and guests of the hotel often told of unsettling encounters with a ghostly little girl. They heard the light sound of laughter or the rustle of a dress as she passed by. They felt the touch of a small hand on their own or the tug of their clothing, signaling that a little child wanted their attention. Many claimed that they caught a glimpse of a little girl in a white dress. Items vanished and then turned up in others' places. The apparition of the girl was most often seen on the stairs leading to the third floor of the hotel or wandering the halls of the second floor. Those sightings were most common before the second floor was renovated years ago. During the construction work, several carpenters claimed to see a little girl running down the hallway. Well, that same hallway was later converted into a dining room, and after that, she began wandering all over the building, even appearing in connecting buildings, offering no clue as to where she might turn up next. One part of the legend states that the room where the little girl's family stayed was on the top floor of the building. During the years when the hotel was still in operation, many guests refused to stay in that room. They claimed it was too cold, or that they heard knocking sounds that kept them awake at night. After the hotel closed down, merchant policemen who patrolled the downtown shopping district at night sometimes claimed to see a light burning in that same room on the top floor. The building was locked up and completely empty at the time. After the building was renovated and opened again, employees heard footsteps pacing back and forth in that same upstairs room. When they tried to investigate the sounds, they often found the door to be mysteriously locked. After retrieving the key and returning to the upper floor, the door would be found standing open, as if whoever had been inside decided to leave. The problem was that the entire floor, the entire hotel, was empty at the time. There was only one way down from the third floor, and anyone who had been inside that room would have had to have passed them on the stairs. No one had. Hotel operations eventually ended in the building, and years later it was renovated into several stores, a restaurant, and a tea room. But the remodeling never slowed down the resident ghost. The haunting had continued, and new staff members began to tell stories about spirited pranks and, you guessed it, glimpses of a little girl in a white dress. In the tea room, silverware moved around on its own. Glasses inexplicably spilled and kitchen items mysteriously vanished. Guests who came and wanted to see the preserved Lincoln room upstairs often asked about the little girl they saw playing on the staircase. Well, the owners were hesitant about telling them there was no little girl in the building at the time. The mysterious happening spread throughout the entire block of buildings, wreaking havoc in the gift shop next door and in the small Italian eatery that later opened on the other side. Objects vanished, silverware flew through the air, and at least one waitress quit her job after hearing footsteps on the upper floor, which turned out to be empty. One server told of having a tray filled with dirty dishes knocked out of her hands one night. When she whirled around to confront the person she'd bumped into, she found there was nobody there. One afternoon, some of the workers were installing a new overhead light in the dining room and the light suddenly jerked out of their hands and flew all the way across the room. They were so flustered by what happened, they left for the day and didn't return until the following morning. Since those days, a variety of restaurants and shops have come and gone in the Franklin House. Today, it's home to a small pub and a wine bar, but so far, things have been fairly quiet when it comes to the resident ghosts or ghosts. We're left to wonder if the strange happenings will continue or will the hauntings of the old Franklin House 
fade away with time. One of the most legendary haunted places in Alton was the Mansion House. Although it was destroyed by fire a few years ago, the story of the house and its resident ghost is one worth remembering and keeping alive today as an integral part of Haunted Alton. The Mansion House was located on State Street and it was built in 1834 by a Captain Botkin who operated the place for many years as a hotel. For a few years it was the only hotel in town. The building was later used as a Catholic boarding school by nuns of the Ursuline Order and the Daughters of Charity. In 1864, during the height of the smallpox epidemic at the Alton Penitentiary, the house was turned into a hospital. It was actually the very first hospital in the city. Three Daughters of Charity nuns from St. Louis responded to a plea for President Lincoln to come to Alton to try to get the smallpox epidemic under control. They began treating the sick townspeople at the hospital and at the isolation camp on Sunflower Island. Gradually, under their watchful care, the epidemic began to subside. There were stories that circulated that claimed the ghosts of many of the people who died at the mansion house during the epidemic continued to linger there, restless and frightened of the illness that ended their lives. But if those ghosts walked in the house, they didn't walk there alone. The mansion house was actually documented as a haunted house in stories, newspapers, and anecdotes long before the Civil War. In fact, it has the dubious honor of being the first documented haunted house in the city of Alton. The infamous otherworldly resident of the mansion house was a man named Tom Boothby. He was a grizzled old Indian fighter who came to live at the hotel in 1836. Boothby had seen more than his share of adventure during the Indian battles during the War of 1812. As a result, he had retired to Alton with only one arm and one eye. A tomahawk blow and a well-placed arrow had relieved him of each. Boothby took a downstairs room in the back left corner of the house and quickly became known as an eccentric recluse. It is believed he didn't leave his room until his death in 1838, and the stories say he had a boy who would deliver his meals to him each morning. The following day, Boothby would leave a payment and an empty basket, and the young man exchanged that one for a full one. Boothby soon became well known in the mansion house. He was obsessed with the idea that the ghosts of the Indians he had killed in the past were coming to murder him. He often woke up screaming in the middle of the night, most often when thunderstorms brought rain and lightning to Alton. His screams would rouse the other tenants in the house and soon someone would be pounding on Boothby's door trying to put an end to the ruckus. Although Boothby never opened his door, he mumbled an apology to the person outside and usually the rest of the night would pass in peace. How often this late night screaming actually occurred is unknown, but apparently it happened often enough that Boothby gained a reputation among the guests. Only the most recent tenants ever bothered to venture out into the hallway when Boothby began crying out in the night. Soon they too learned to ignore the chilling sounds. And so it went for the next two years. Rumors spread throughout the city that Boothby had been moving from town to town along the Mississippi River, always hoping to stay one step ahead of the ghostly attackers he believed were pursuing him. He was dismissed as a lunatic, but, well, perhaps Tom Boothby wasn't as crazy as everyone believed he was. One night during a terrible summer thunderstorm, Boothby's screams were different than in the past. Instead of his crying out that the Indians were coming to kill him, this time he cried they'd found him. 
In fact, as Boothby yelled for help, he said that his attackers were strangling him. If his screams aroused anyone that night, they didn't come to his aid. The other guests had been awakened so many times before they wanted nothing to do with the crazy old man. Perhaps they flinched in their sleep at the urgency of Boothby's call, but, well, if they did, no one came to help. The next day passed like any other. The young man who came to deliver Boothby's meals picked up an empty basket and left behind a full one, just as he always did. It would not be until the following morning that he realized something was wrong. The basket from the day before had been untouched, which was something that had never occurred in the past two years. The young man fetched the owner of the hotel who opened the door to Boothby's room. They found the old man inside, sprawled sideways across his bed. His nightshirt was ripped and torn as if he'd been involved in a struggle, and his one good eye stared wide with fright. The Indians were strangling him, Boothby had screamed, but it was the man's own remaining hand that was tightly gripping his throat. As the years have passed, the ghost of Tom Boothby never rested. His cries and frantic footsteps continued to be heard in the house, especially on nights when storms thundered across the sky above Alton. While the house still operated as a hotel, only guests who were unaware of the story of Tom Boothby were given his old room. That way, when they were awakened by the sounds of his spirit screaming in the darkness, they would think it was coming from some other place in the hotel. In time, the mansion house was converted into an apartment building and the stories, well, they never stopped. It was only after the house was destroyed by fire that the tales of old Tom Boothby finally came to an end. What happens to ghosts when the buildings where they linger disappear? Do they remain attached to the wooden stone that once held their spirit, or do they finally find rest from the troubles that have kept them trapped in our world? In Tom Boothby's case, we can only hope he's found some peace on the other side. at Alton dates back to 1837, when the first city constable, S.L. Miller, was named to the position of upholding law and order in the Rough River town. His tenure, which only lasted one year, was plagued with problems, not the least of which was the murder of Elijah Lovejoy in November of that year. As years passed, the position of lawmen changed from town constables to full-fledged police officers. The department has seen its share of tragedy, violence, and loss over the years, but there is one enduring mystery connected to it that has never been solved. It happened in October 16, 1937, when a man named August Mayford vanished from the west end of the city's business district, only to turn up dead a short time later near Edwardsville. He'd been shot in the back eight times. What happened to August Mayford in October 1937, and why did the case create a great deal of urgency for the Alton Police Department? It was the simple reason that August Mayford was one of their own. In the fall of 1937, Mayford had been a merchant policeman for 18 years. At night, he would walk a beat through the city's business district, keeping a lookout for problems at the various retail stores on his route. Mayford was well aware that many people thought of his job as little more than a door rattler, but he did it well, and he gained respect from not only the merchants on his beat, but also from the regular police officers that he came in contact with on a nightly basis. The last person to talk to Mayford on October 16th was a police patrolman named Claude Barkley who met him around 11 p.m. that evening near the intersection of 3rd and Piazaw Streets. Mayford was just leaving the Illinois restaurant where he had his usual dinner of bacon and eggs. He and Barkley chatted for a few moments and then Mayford turned east and walked across Piazaw Street. 
Barkley later said that he believed he was on his way to turn off some display window lights that had been left on in the Piazal building across the street. Barkley turned and went west on 3rd, and he never saw Mayford again. After he vanished, the police tried to track Mayford's movements that night. It had always been his custom to stop at the Fall Stitch Cigar Store a little before 11 p.m. every night. But on October 16th, he never arrived. He also failed to make his usual midnight call to the police station just to check in. It was also discovered that about half the store window display lights that he turned off each night during his rounds had been turned off. The other half were still on the next morning. He had apparently been interrupted during his rounds. Just before dawn on Sunday, the desk sergeant at the station became concerned. It wasn't like Mayford not to call in at midnight. The 66-year-old policeman had always been reliable, but what if he had fallen ill during the night? The desk sergeant mentioned his concerns to Police Chief Yule. At that point, the chief realized he had not seen Mayford that evening as he usually did, and he also became concerned. Mayford and the chief usually met for breakfast on Sunday mornings, and then the chief drove him home. Chief Yule drove downtown and discovered the store lights that were still on. A call was placed at Mayford's home. He wasn't there. Chief Yule found only one clue during his search. When he visited the mall shoe store on West 3rd Street, where Mayford usually cut clothing that he might need if it rained or if the weather changed suddenly, he found an overcoat, a raincoat, some extra clothing, and his wallet with $33 in it, a decent amount of money during the Great Depression. Yule deduced that Mayford had evidently been there early in the evening as he'd started on his rounds, but had never returned. The chief doubted from that moment on that Mayford would have voluntarily left without taking his money with him. Police officers searched the streets, but they found no trace of the patrolman. None of his usual doors had been left unlocked. When the stores reopened on Monday, there was no sign of the man. The worry that he'd suffered a heart attack or a stroke in one of the buildings had been relieved, but where was he? Word of his disappearance was sent to police departments in nearby cities and to the state highway patrol headquarters. By late Monday afternoon, his description was being broadcast on the radio. The river was searched, but there was still no sign of him. By Tuesday morning, most believed the patrolman had not disappeared voluntarily, but no one wanted to say he'd been kidnapped. Some of his friends continued to harbor the idea that perhaps he'd fallen victim to an illness or amnesia. They believed that this explained his erratic actions in turning off some of the lights in the 3rd Street showroom windows while leaving others burning, but they could not explain why he still hadn't been found. On October 25th, with Mayford still missing, his brother Chris offered a $100 reward for any information that would lead to the discovery of his brother. The situation was becoming desperate by this time, and it was hoped by his family that a reward might spark some new interest in the case. Well, sadly, it didn't. But on October 31st, the search for August Mayford came to a tragic end. On Halloween afternoon, several workers on the William Bone Farm discovered Mayford's body on the edge of a cornfield. He was lying not far from Cahokia Creek near Edwardsville. The police and the coroner were quickly called to the scene and made the grim determination that they had indeed found the missing man. According to reports, Mayford had been shot in the back eight times, probably while lying on the ground. He had also been beaten into unconsciousness first, his jaw had been broken and his false teeth had been shattered. All of his clothing was intact and the keys that he carried for all of the downtown businesses were still in his pocket. The only thing missing was his service revolver, which he always carried with him in a holster. Sheriff Simon Henry, who was first on the scene, later suggested to reporters that Mayford may have prevented a robbery in Alton on the night he vanished. It was possible, he said, that he paid for that interference with his life. He'd apparently been beaten and then dumped from a car by someone who was familiar with the vicinity. 
The assailant had shot the injured man in the back, killing him as he lay on the ground. Only two spent bullets were found at the scene, providing untraceable clues. No explanation was ever found as to why someone would kill August Mayford in such a brutal manner. He didn't have any enemies. He never received any threats. The police continued to speculate that he had interrupted a break-in and had been taken away by one or more of the robbers and had been killed. And to this day, that remains the most likely solution as to what became of August Mayford on that dark night in October 1937. The mystery of his death and his disappearance has never been solved and remains a curious enigma in the annals of the Alton police history. But perhaps not as curious as the sightings of a ghost that is said to be Mayford's which has been seen in a lonely alleyway in downtown Alton. On the night of October 16th, August Mayford was last seen near the corner of 3rd and Piazaw Streets by another police officer, walking up the hill along 3rd Street. One block up, about halfway along a steep hill that continues for another block, is a side street paved with brick that once extended from Broadway and curved around to Piazaw. A stone staircase, now overgrown with weed and brush, still exists on the right side of that curve. The left side once passed the rear entrance of Alton Sears store, which was a regular stop on Mayford's nightly patrols. It is also, some believe, the last stop that Mayford made on the night he disappeared. The reason for this is because the back entrance of the store that once existed here is the spot where Mayford's ghost is still seen after all this time. The stories began to circulate in the 1940s. According to witnesses, the figure of a man was seen as he walked down the roadway from 3rd Street. He appeared to be a solid-looking, stocky man with gray hair, wearing what was described as an old-fashioned police uniform. The man reached the curb in the road, left the street, walked down a short flight of stairs that once led to the rear entrance of Sears, and vanished. Every sighting of the man was exactly the same given by witnesses who did not know one another and who had no idea that anyone else had reported the ghost. After searching through the history books, I discovered the strange mystery of August Mayford and realized his disappearance had occurred almost exactly where the witnesses had reported the vanished officer. Is it August Mayford still making his nightly rounds after all these years? Or does his spirit refuse to rest because his vanishing and subsequent murder was never solved? Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words Here's your scripted thing. Go. <laughs> Is that how much pressure I put on you? <laughs> Welcome to American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to episode seven of season one, which delves into the hauntings of Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Who is been causing trouble all morning. You're always so, I'll actually, trouble. I think it's afternoon now because this now sets the record for the longest single episode of the podcast we've ever tried to record. Yes. So um, we will apologize in advance because we are doing something completely new this time. Right. Um, you have endured with us six episodes of what we feel is getting better every time yep. podcast. And now we are in episode seven, and we are actually not recording it in Alton. This is the first one we've recorded away somewhere. Right. Uh, we are in Jacksonville this weekend, and we are recording it at the office, which is, if it doesn't sound like a recording studio, it's because it's not. Um, we are in uh, my office in, in Jacksonville and at the American Hauntings Inc. office, which is located above... Uh, my store and Lisa's store, um, Taylor Mercantile. So we are trying to do something a little bit different this time. So if uh, you don't like it, we'll apologize in advance. If you do like it, hey, give us some more reviews yes. on iTunes. We know you are listening. Not enough of you are reviewing. Keep right. reviewing. We, we want you to keep reviewing things. Uh, post a review unless you just really don't like the podcast, then we'll beg you. Right. Beg you, please don't post In anything. In which case, yeah, the reviews are broken, <laughs> they're down. But yeah, this office is, it's amazing. It's a, it's a morbid paradise, is how I would yeah. describe it. Yeah, it's, I, um, I love it's, a, it. it's an odd spot. Uh, we, uh, we are uh, in the middle of lots and lots of books. Mm-hmm. Um, t-shirts from past Haunted America conferences. The quilt that Lisa had made for me for the 20th anniversary Haunted American Conference is hanging up, and uh, along with a Key West flag, um, a couple of pirate flags, um, a lot of very grim uh, memorabilia, Ouija boards, um, there is Jack from Trick or Treat, there is uh, Agent Dale Cooper and Laura Palmer. A lot of skulls. Uh, a lot of skulls, and uh, there's a clanging monkey. Did I did, should have put the monkey on the table. I did not it's see the, the monkey. It's the, the, the scary monkey that clangs the symbols. Oh, you know, okay. From the Stephen King story. Right. He's sitting up there on the shelf. So, nice. yeah, it's a, it's an odd spot, but perhaps perfect for what we're doing. Absolutely. So, I think it's definitely you know. in the spirit of what we're doing. Yes. Pun yes. intended. Yes. yes. Uh, just a couple housekeeping things before we get started. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that's been listening Absolutely. and uh, giving us feedback. 
Unfortunately, we recorded six episodes before we even released one, so it's taken us a little while to incorporate any of that feedback, but we are definitely listening and we're learning uh, as we go. And, you know, we have, we've had over 3,000 downloads of the, the first three episodes that we've put out. We have over 100 email subscribers, and that just really means the world to us. So thank you very much. Yeah, we, we, we really do appreciate it. It has been, a, and it's, the thing was about it, in the, in the first place when we started doing this thing, it was just for fun. Yeah. I mean, and it's still just for fun, really, uh, right. because we both have other things that we're doing. This is just kind of a side thing. Um, and, and But it's the one thing I think I look forward to the most as far as just doing something different. And uh, we have a lot of fun with it, and we we really like the idea that you guys have been excited about it. We, we were just talking, um, you know, before we got into the, recording this segment of the podcast, um, when the Haunted America conference took place back in June, we had actually released only one episode of yep. the podcast. We had no, I, I didn't even realize it had been so few. Right. Um, the second one came out, I think, the Monday after the conference. So um, you haven't heard, we're, we're up to episode seven right now. You haven't heard all of them yet. Well, you will have by the time you get to this. Uh, but we have released all of three episodes so far, I believe. Yep, four and we've had some Monday. really great feedback and response from you guys and we really appreciate it and and really hope that it keeps coming uh, because we were discussing in the last uh, little while while we've been working on this that we don't see any end in sight for this nope. um, we're, we sure we're gonna finish up our our Alton segment um, in uh, maybe 12 episodes that's our that's our plan right yep. now we is 12 episodes of Alton and then we're gonna be going on to other things so if you've got some ideas we want to hear them. Um, you can you can post them. I mean, I, every time we have a new episode, I put it up on the Facebook page, and uh, we get a lot of response from that. You can email us from the website. Cody gets all the emails from the website, theamericanhauntingspodcast.com. Um, you can post it wherever you want um, if you've got some ideas. I will tell you that we're tentatively thinking about maybe doing a multi-episode season on the Limp family and the Limp Mansion in St. Louis. Yep next but that's not that's not written in stone uh, but it is an idea if you like that idea let us know um if you've got some other ideas we definitely want to hear them so, for sure yeah tell yeah. us on the website you can tweet at me you can tweet at troy yeah absolutely. Hit us up on facebook we're definitely looking for different ideas speaking of the the haunted america conference i got to attend this year and uh it was awesome i won a ouija board <laughs> oh yeah um, that's right you did <laughs> and i met a lot of really awesome people and it was just a very open accepting it's environment. fun it's, I liked it's it a lot. you know i and honestly the the conference you know we say it gets bigger and better every year yeah. and when we say bigger um we don't mean that it becomes like this you know it, it doesn't become comic-con i mean it's where right. you can't walk it's 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 bigger in bigger in ideas i think more than anything um we had a great crowd again this year and um we're, we're going to keep it the same next year. We're going to go back to the Best Western Premier in Alton. It's a great location for us. Yep. Um, in fact, we were just meeting with them this week um, to, to get things planned out. That's how long, when everybody says they had a really great time, um, Lisa and I worked on this thing for like a year. I mean, right. when, it, when it ends, we've already started working on the next one. So uh, we're already looking forward to June of 2018, and then when it gets here, man, it goes so fast. Yeah. I mean, it just goes so fast. And I love that the hotel's been obviously very accommodating for the conference, and they have also been very um, open for us, and it cracks me up that one of the organizations that would support us is, of course, a hotel, which right. is something we talk <laughs> right, about right, so right. I know. Yeah, we do. We do with all of the ghost stories. And, um, 
you know, which has been kind of funny uh, because it's it is it's a great location and it's been and like you said, it has been great for us. They you know they support us for our tours and our other events and and even the podcast. Um, they've been great supporters for that too. And um, you know that's one of those things we we bring in all this stuff. We bring in all these people and um, you know who are fascinated with the, with ghosts and the paranormal and that kind of thing. And we do these after hour events and Greg and Dana bring in a haunted museum full of possessed objects. Yeah, and that was crazy. I often wonder what they think there at the hotel. They're having a great time. They always want, you know, oh great, you know, make sure we have a t shirt, you know, and all this stuff. But I often wonder if they worry about what it's doing there after, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. So uh, we'll see. You know, we'll we'll talk about that because We've got some. We've got lots of big plans, but one of our big plans is to do a live episode of the podcast next year at the conference. Uh, we're talking about doing one in February at our Dead of Winter event too. Yeah, and stay tuned. Once we get that, yeah, we'll stay tuned because once we get some of that nailed down and some of our plans uh, fixed ahead of time, we'll we'll let you know how you can take part in it. Um, that's a free event. So um, at the Mineral, we're going to have it at the Mineral Springs in Alton, which is. Uh, subject of one of our episode two, episode I believe, two, of, yep. of the podcast. So, anyway, but hey, let's talk about this episode. Let's dive. So in. I know you have some questions. Yes, so. diving into Troy's favorite ghosts, and it's funny. I pretty much this whole podcast was just a ploy so I could ask you these kind of questions <laughs> and get to pick your brain a little bit about your favorite ghosts. So we'll start off with the Franklin House ghost story with the little girl, which is just awesome because of how much I fear little children i know i know i thought of that too when i was putting some of the material together for it i thought now this is gonna creep and then the fact that she's out. she's in a scene in a white dress and it just everything well, of course about, she is i know it's a, you know everything it's, about it's it it's everything that it's everything that bothers you but it's also everything that is a little girl ghost story of course i mean everything about this story is like textbook haunted child right. right i mean little white dress she plays pranks she's seen running up and down the hallway she giggles she grabs your hand she pulls on your clothing it's all it's everything stuff. it's all the stuff and you know how much how much of the legend is absolute truth that that i can't tell you this was a legend that was passed on to me and as we know and and as we i think we even talked about in some of the earlier episodes with a lot of ghost stories um you get a history that explains the happenings, right. if that makes sense. Yep. You know, um, when people talk about scene or, or things happening, well, you know, if if silverware is moving around or glasses are spilling or something, oh, well, I'll bet that that seems like something a little kid would do. And a story grows. I mean, so, you know, when people do say they see a little girl in a white dress, it doesn't give you a little bit more credibility of the story because right. you know when you're talking about people who don't know each other who've been reporting the same thing over the years over and over and over again um and everyone says the same thing then you you start to you give it a little bit more you know believability than you might something else absolutely you know? um and i think that's played a big part in it and you know some of the details about oh her father was a traveling salesman and this this is the kind of stuff that you get passed on from people who worked at that hotel over a you know, 50 year period and they come up with a story, you right. know, and, and, and that totally makes sense and I totally get it. And that has become like an integral part of the lore of the Franklin House. Um, like I said, I, I, and I mentioned in the story that there's a, there's a bar in one part of it now, there's a, uh, it's a wine bar. Uh, the last, last night, the incarnation was a wine bar downstairs. Yeah. 
there had been a couple of restaurants in there. Uh, there had been a tea room in there since I first started writing about and investigating the stories. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a little bar in there where the Italian restaurant later went in. But before that, that was a Christmas shop. I, I, this Christmas way, shop. I know, way that's before your time. I know, yeah, no kidding. And well, that's what I always thought too. But which I guess maybe explains why it's not there anymore. But <laughs> exactly. um, it was it was a Christmas shop when I first started going to Alton, and when I first moved to Alton, it was a, a Christmas store. And I had a woman, and we've talked about this before on the podcast too. And this is going to come up several times, but. I had a bookstore there in Alton, so I was there most of the time. So people knew that if they had a ghost story they wanted to tell, and people loved to tell their stories, right. and they knew they had a captive audience when they would come down, and I would be there at the store, and they they tell me their stories. You and, were the guy. Yeah, and I and I got, I mean, well, I was going to say a bookload of material, but it's, it's probably been more than more, more than, than one that. book, but. I got a lot of material that way, and uh, I had a woman who came to me to tell me a story about how she had worked at the Christmas store. Um, and but but the funny thing about the story was is that she had only worked there one day. Yeah. And she had come in because it's she, tough orientation it, it, day. Yeah, to tell me about what had happened, and she was working. She'd taken the job, and she was there, and she was doing her thing, and she was being trained by the staff, and you know what to do, how to run the cash register, what to do when she closed up at night, this kind of thing. And you know, one of the things that she told me that 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 bothered her about the job or the potential job, because at that point, it was still her first day. Um, was that, that the other woman that she was working with who was training her kept bringing up the ghost. Because now, I don't know if you know this, this is a, you know, it's a pretty famous haunted place, and there's this little girl who haunts this building, and she died on the street outside the hotel that was next door, and you know we've seen her here in the shop, and things move around and disappear, and lights turn on and off, and by the end of the day, this woman was a nervous wreck. Of course. Um, because she turnover. was terrified of ghosts and didn't want anything to do with them, and... So the, the day went on, and uh, they said, well, you know, I, I think there's not a lot to this. I think you've kind of got your handle on it. Uh, I'm going to go. i got to take off, uh, but you don't worry about it. It's only going to be another hour or so. Then just close things up, and, and I'll take care of everything tomorrow. You don't have to do anything special. Just lock the door on your way out. Sounds like a setup exactly, already, you know? Right? So the woman's, you know, going about her business. She's kind of straightening up the store, and uh, she's she's just getting ready to kind of go behind the counter and kind of stack up some papers from the day. And, and right behind the counter, there is a door, at least the way that the building used to be laid out, there was a door that led upstairs into the next building. And she said that she had opened that door. Uh, they usually kind of stored things on the stairs because no one ever used the staircase. She opened the door and sitting on the staircase, about halfway down, was a little girl in a dress. Jesus. So the woman from the Christmas shop lets out a blood-curdling scream, Yep. slams the door, runs to the front of the place, runs out, locks the door, and never came back. She called up the owner the next day. She told me, this is what she told me, she called up the owner the next day, and she quit. Now, I knew a good story when I heard one, and right. this became a staple of the Alton Hauntings tours for years. Uh, How many for, times do you think you told this story? I don't story? know. I, I must have told this story, I don't know, if you do 40 tours in 
September and October every year. I probably told it 400 times. Jeez. Easy if I didn't tell it other places too. Right. I told this multiple hundred times I told this story. So one night I'm on the tour and I take everybody, we, we, we're downtown and we stop at the Franklin house and I tell this great story about the woman who quit because of the ghost. And we get everybody together and we move on to the next location. So as I'm walking on to go up the street, this woman comes up to me and says, hey, I uh, wanted to add to your story at the Christmas shop. And I said, oh yeah? She goes, yeah. She said, I didn't want to interrupt you while I was telling it, um, but I thought maybe you should hear the rest of the story. And I said, oh great. And she said, everything you said was true. Um, that's exactly how it happened. This, the, the woman that worked there, uh, she she saw the ghost. She she locked up. She left. She quit. She left. Even left the lights on. I, you know, she. I the next morning I came in and found everything. She goes, you know, I I owned that shop for a couple of years and never had anything like that happen. But I, I kind of understood it because, you know, I knew that the building was supposed to be haunted. She said, but there's something I should probably tell you about that story. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, well, she said everything happened just like you said, except for one thing. When she opened that door to the staircase and saw the ghost sitting on the stairs, that wasn't a ghost. That was my granddaughter. And oh, man. It, 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 that She's... wasn't what she saw that day. So that ruined the story, needless uh, to say. And uh, it sort of became, for years on the tour, it became the ghost story that wasn't. Right. Um, and I think uh, every once in a while, uh, we, we still tell it on the tour and explain what happened that day. Um, now, that's not to say that... that Everything that ever happened in that building over the last, you know, 125 years had to do with someone's granddaughter. Um, right. I, I, I do think there's something that's gone on in that building. Um, I, I do think that based on the sheer number of stories, I think there was some sort of haunting. Yeah. Um, the details, the history, I can't tell you for a fact. Right. Um, all I can tell you is that, you know, people will create a legend to fit the fit, fit what's actually going on, to fit the facts. Right. And that maybe that's what happened here. I don't know. Um, but there have been so many people who have seen this little girl that it does make me think that um, that's a possibility. Besides that, kid ghosts, as you know, are creepy. Yeah. So it, it definitely makes for a good story. Well, I first, I love that you actually included that in the book and that you didn't kind of shy away from it and be like, a lot, like a lot of people would have been like, oh, shit, well, that ruins my story. But, <laughs> yeah. but no, I, yeah, I, I think that makes the story better. I think it, it really uh, you know, does. It but now I start to wonder, now that I know it was a Christmas store, because now she just sounds like the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, exactly. Some famous <laughs> character. And, and listening to the story, you know, the or supposed history of how she came about, it's like the cliche kid running after a ball out in the middle of the street kind of yeah, thing. It, yeah. And it's really sad, but instead of getting hit by a car, it's like, a, what, a horse and buggy Yeah, kind well, of thing? it's a wagon. A um, wagon. Yeah, that road, that, the State Street on there was, here's a fun fact for you. Mm -hmm. uh, State Street that ran all the way into North Alton um, was actually, they called it the old plank road. I think I mentioned that in the story. Um, in fact, I think I called it the old prank road and the old crank road About in a couple times, of outtakes four there. Times, um, yeah. But which Cody is storing, by the way. Um, but anyway, I, it was soon. the old plank road, and uh, it was the very first 
toll road in the entire state of Illinois. Oh wow! Yeah, they found a way to cash in. So on they made you pay. To farmers, go yeah. That you had thing? to bring. You had to, to to pay to bring your wagon down to the riverfront to unload your stuff. Oh jeez. So, so yeah. Illinois has been broke that long. Yeah, that long. They've been looking for a way to put their hand in our pocket since the 1830s. Yeah, that's so, crazy. I know. And they ended up changing the name from what Franklin House to Lincoln. Yeah, it became the Lincoln Hotel. Um, it was a good way. I mean, you know, thing people people think that all of this stuff comes came about in the last, you know, 50 years or so. But, you know, even in the 130, 40 years ago, people were looking to cash in on whatever they could when it comes to tourism. And right. uh, that was a good way to get people in. Lincoln was popular in Alton and in Illinois. So they just changed the name to the Lincoln Hotel. I mean, he le legitimately did stay there. Right. So it's not like it was one of those Lincoln slept here kind of things. And he really didn't. Um, he really did. And it was documented kind of thing. So. They, they had a, a legitimate reason to name it that, but yeah, it became the Lincoln Hotel and eventually, you know, went out of business and it closed down and it reopened and then it closed again. And, it, you know, they've been through various stages down there uh, along the river. Every river town goes through the same thing. You know, factories right. close, factories open, factories close, the riverboats came, the riverboats were on, you know. Um, and that was just part of one of the many different stages of history in downtown Alton. Um, with you know now it's now it's centered a lot on tourism and and bringing in people to restaurants and things like that. But you know there aren't any hotels in downtown Alton anymore. But there used to be a dozen. I mean because that's how many were needed. Right. You know? Well, I'm, I was kind of disappointed when I first started reading this story and I heard that they changed the name to Lincoln because I was really excited that maybe people were seeing the ghost of Lincoln I just sitting at the bar getting hammered four score well, seven if, years if, ago. If I had a dollar for every place that the ghost of Abraham Lincoln was supposed to haunt, yeah. um, he, is, he is, as I've often said, the most well-traveled ghost in the history of America. Really? Uh, because he's, he's everywhere. There's at least a couple of places in Alton where they say that Lincoln's ghost has been seen. And, and I mean, there's there's... Every town where he ever, like, spent any time at all right. is supposed to be haunted by Abraham Lincoln. Well, there should be no mistake in him. You see that ghost well, with the top hat. Yeah, you would know. Well, you'd know it was him. So, But if I, if I had to say, the only place that I would really say is haunted by Abraham Lincoln is the White House. Uh, because oh, that really? is a place that is a pit of desperation and despair. Yes. And uh, during the one. Civil War, I'm going to say it was really bad. Yeah. Um, there's a guy who, you know, who, who died... Uh, many times over before he was actually assassinated inside that building. So I think that he left, definitely left a part of himself in the White House, not in Alton, and certainly not at the Franklin House. So, you know, it's one of those stories. Right. Well, let's move on then to uh, the Mansion House that you also mentioned, which apparently was the first hospital Impromptu yeah, one of the hospital? first hotels in town. Well, for a time, it was the only hotel in town. Um, and when we say hotel, I'm being generous. Uh, let's call it a boarding house. I think that would be a little bit more apt. Uh, but it was the first hospital in the city. Um, when the nuns were brought over to try to, to get rid of that smallpox epidemic yeah. that happened at the prison. Right. I mean, you know, we talk about all these people dying at the prison, but we don't mention that the smallpox was being spread outside of the prison as well um, because the guards um, the workers at the prison would take it home with them not realizing that it took two weeks before you started to show symptoms so they give it to everybody so there was no hospital in Alton in those days so the the nuns who came to try to eradicate the the epidemic at the prison needed to set up a hospital in town to try to treat the townspeople too 
um, they used the, the mansion house because it had already been turned into a school, a, a Catholic schoolgirl school. Right. Um, the nuns had already turned it into something else for a time. Um, this was after, you know, 30 some years after, you know, Tom Boothby and his adventures at the mansion house. Yes. And um, that story is, it's always been one of my favorites. It is, it is one of the first stories I had ever heard um, about Alton. And it was one of those stories that I just love that story. He is I, my I favorite character you have introduced me to so far. Yeah. I just one-eyed, one-armed. One-eyed, one-armed, yeah. And um, I, I can remember initially in the early days telling that story. And yeah. I would tell the story about Tom Booth being, you know, um, really the one eye, and ne neither one of those things is really that pertinent to the story. It but it adds to the adds character. some color to yes. the character. But I remember telling this story to people and then grabbing hold of, reflexively grabbing hold of my own throat and going, and they found his hand around his throat. And then I thought, how do you strangle yourself with only one That's hand? I, I'm not sure you could part. do it with two, but. I've always said the most burly thing you could do would be to choke yourself out. But if, even if you only had one hand. I know. So did, I he, know. did he die? I think he died from... of fright. Okay. I think, I think that the, the implication is that he died of fright. But the fact that the Indians were, the, the ghostly Indians were supposed to be strangling him and his hand was found gripped around his throat. Yeah. I think just adds some, again, more color to the story. Right. Um, and again, we, we get into that area of how, how close are all the facts in this story? Tom Boothby was real, that mm -hmm. is true. Um, he did die in the house. Um, he was a soldier during the war. Um, and a lot of people, and that's one of the things that I've, I've spent years trying to talk about on the on the Alton tours and, and when I talk to people about Alton, people don't realize just how bad things were on the frontier during the War of 1812. Right, this 1812 not right, right. right. We, we think about the War of 1812 as being, well, thanks to the like the Star Spangled Banner and the forts on the you know, on the East Coast and the burning of the White House, right. and even the Battle of New Orleans, we think about all this stuff on the coast and we forget about the brutality that took place in the middle part of the country, especially along the Mississippi River, because the British were actually paying um, Native American tribes who were allied to the British to see how many American settlers They're they could kill. Mercenaries, essentially. Right, essentially, that's what they became. And they were slaughtering families up and down the frontier. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was war. And people don't realize just how brutal it was out in this area. So Tom Boothby saw a lot of action during the war and um, so he came away with it with what I think we consider now to be you know PTSD before anything like that had ever been you know diagnosed or even thought of right and this was a guy who was scarred by what he'd seen and what had happened and somehow along the way he became obsessed with the idea that all of these these Native Americans he had killed were, were after him that were coming back for their revenge. Yeah. Now, where that came from, I have no idea. Um, but what we know for a fact is that he did take up lodging at the mansion house, and he was a recluse, and he didn't leave his room, and he died one night. Um, now, a lot of the rest of the story may be local folklore. I mean, that's very possible, but at least the basic facts are there. And what I can also tell you, as far as the facts go, is that I have talked to probably no less than a dozen people who lived in the mansion house over the years who had experienced those screams. Yeah. Waking up at night and hearing the sounds of screaming. 
Um, I kind of started pursuing this story after I met a couple. They came up to me um, at a very odd place. Um, around in 1999, 2000, and 2001, I was at I don't I don't know what you'd call this a featured attraction, a side. It felt like I was in a sideshow at uh, Fright Fest at Six Flags okay, yeah. in St. Louis uh, during in October. They had the weekends, the Fright Fest weekends. And they had contacted me and asked me to come over and tell stories at Fright Fest. And so they gave us a building to use and they let us set up a little bookstore in there. Um, let us bring us at the bookstore in Alton. So we'd bring over stuff and we'd set it up and ghost books and my own books and that kind of thing. And people could come into the bookstore at any time. But every other hour, I was required to do a 20 to 25 minute program of ghost stories. You were, ghost you were a stories. theme park attraction. This seemed like a lot of fun. Now, why I did it for three years, I, <laughs> I don't know. But it seemed like a lot of fun the first weekend. Right. By the second weekend, it became the most horrific experience of my life. Mean, you have no idea what it... I, I, don't, I can't even imagine how people who do like Broadway shows over and over and over again do the exact same thing yeah. over and over and over. And I would tell the same stories over and over every weekend. And I learned a lot about people that weekend um, because we would we would end the show. It would start at 1 o'clock and it would end at 1.30. And then at about 1.45, people would start lining up for the 3 o'clock show. Not because I was popular or yeah. because they wanted to see me, but because it was a line. And they this would just what, go stand in it. So they would stand in line for an hour and a half, get up to the door, and then say to one of the people that were... Because were, I, I, I tricked many of my friends into coming down and helping me, promising them that they could ride rides for free because we had passes. And that was enough to lure many of them in. Of course. And we would, they would be standing there at the door... And people would stand in line for an hour and a half to get in and would get to the door and go, now, what is it that we're doing here? Or what is it we're standing in line for? And you just wanted to just beat them. That's you crazy. Know? Uh, anyway, anyway, the, the whole point of this, but I met a lot of really cool people that way. And in fact, I met a lot of people that I still, I'm still friends with today who just came to the show, hung out, shot the shit with me. And then now they're still around, you know, it's, it's. So it was a lot of fun. It really was. In hindsight, it seems less grueling than it was at the time. You yeah. Know? But anyway, so I had this couple who came up to me after one of the presentations at Fright Fest, and I think I had done some story about Alton. I don't know what it was. It wasn't Tom Boothby. It was just something else. And they came up to me and they said, um, "Hey, we we live in Alton. I, we saw that you live in Alton." I said, "Yeah." And they said, "Well, we we just moved there a couple months ago, and um, we think our house is haunted." I said, oh, really? You know, because I'm thinking, okay, can I put this on the tour? Is it something, you yeah. know, is, it, is this something that's going to be cool? And then we think our house is haunted. We moved in, and it's it's an apartment, and we there's a couple of apartments in the building. Uh, we're in the back you know, part of the building, and the weirdest thing at night, sometimes we would wake up because we would hear someone screaming. I mean, just screaming bloody murder. And we, we, we asked the other people who lived there to ask them, you know, is, is everything okay? Was that you guys there? No idea what we're talking about. And it, I guess we can only hear it in our apartment. And we don't understand what's going on. But it, it's really scary. And we don't, we, don't know, we don't know anything about the history of the place. We thought we'd ask you about it. Maybe you knew something about it. And I said, well, where is this place? 
So she gives me this address on State Street. Said it's old and it's town. the mansion house. <laughs> and um, I said, well, I said, um, I, I actually do know something about the building. And they said, you do? And I said, yeah, well, let me tell you a little story about a guy named Tom Boothby. <laughs> um, so like two years later, I had run in. I didn't ever see them again. I, I never heard from them again. Uh, but a couple of years later, I did run into the guy who owned the building. He actually owned a building, another building that was close to where the bookstore was. So I'd see him every once in a while. And I asked him about those people because I'd never heard from them. And he goes, yeah, they moved out the next month. Yeah. That, was the, that was the end. They gave her a 30-day notice and they moved out. I let them break their lease because even I know the place is haunted, goes. right? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, I guess it's one of those places in Alton, you know, with with Alton, maybe you can, uh, you know, break your lease if your house is haunted. I don't know. That's probably uh, a clause in there yeah. if the ghost yeah, is screaming, you get to It might be, it might be in a town like Alton, so... Yeah, but yeah, that that always it's just always been one of my favorite stories. I love, I've always loved telling that story on a tour, um, just because it's just it's a cool story. It just is, you know. Is it insensitive for me to say I don't feel too bad for Thomas? Well, I think I think he um, I think he wreaked his own havoc right. uh, in the years that he was living, and I think uh, he was mentally paying the price for it. But I mean, but was it all his imagination? Well, maybe. Um, maybe it was. I, I don't believe there were probably any Indian ghosts pursuing him. But on the other hand, here's Tom. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, though, you know, I, as as I mentioned the story, uh, it did burn down, and uh, that was uh, I. I didn't. I had moved. I think I was living in Chicago at the time, and a buddy might sent me a, a news thing about it about the mansion house burning down, which is a real loss. There's there's still an empty lot there. Um, on State Street, and um, where it's State and where where about? Um, it's it's not it's up the hill. As you, you know how you go up the hill from the river, and you, as you go up and it starts to curve, and you go up toward Christian Hill. Yeah. It, if you're going up the hill, it was over on the left hand side. Across and you from like St. Peter and Paul stuff. No, not that far. It was further down the hill. It okay. was it was still like climbing the hill. All right. Um, and there's an empty lot there. You can't miss it. I mean, it's the only because you know those houses are packed so close right. together on that street it's like the only hole in the row on the left side right. so, so every time they tried to build them there the construction workers just well, get I, I just i just don't think they have ever even bothered um i don't blame them no i don't either and besides that a new house would stick out like a sore thumb right right sore thumb sore thumb in go. that row of houses along there so awesome well let's move on to the final story then uh, of august mayford this story I actually remember from the walking tour that I did yeah. with you in high school, and I thought yeah. it was really interesting because I had never really noticed um, the staircase, the I guess, on the, on the yeah. sidewalk, yeah. Um, and it was just a really interesting story. I didn't remember all the details until you kind of brought this back up, but it's a really sad story. It's a very it is. cowardice act. It is, and it's, it's one of those stories that I think, I think the reason I got so interested in it, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, it started out like so many other stories in Alton did for me, is somebody came to me and said, hey, um, we've heard this place is haunted, you know, um, it, this wasn't a first-hand account, it was my dad had told me about this place, that when he was a kid, um, a lot of people were talking about it. I, I'm not sure how active this location is now. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't heard any recent stories in, in, say, the last 10 years or so, but I know that in the 40s and the 50s, people talked about it a lot. And I often wondered if maybe it was just sort of a you know, residual energy kind of thing, and it's, it's sort of faded away over time. Yeah. Uh, but they came to me to tell me the story, and you know, here was a story about a policeman who you know, people were seeing who disappears. And I thought, well, there's... 
there's got to be something more to this. So, um, and, and it, it appealed to me because my, uh, my grandfather was a police officer, and, and actually as he got older, weird thing was, he got older uh, in Decatur, Illinois, where he, you know, he was living at the time. And when I was a kid, I, I grew up part of my time living in that area. And um, he ended up as a merchant policeman. After he retired as a regular cop, he ended up as a merchant policeman um, in, a, in an area of town called the Levee. And he was a door rattler. I mean, that's what they did. You know, they went around, made sure things were safe. And the merchants would kind of put together money. A lot of people don't know what that means. No, I, um, A merchant not. policeman was, it, it's sort of a security guard. Uh, but they're a police officer in that they are usually retired officers who can still carry a gun, have a mm -hmm. license to carry a gun and uh, can make arrests um, just like a police officer, but they're paid not by the city, but by like a merchant association. Hmm. People who are worried, especially if it's um, you know, an area with a lot of bars or there's been a lot of crime, people who want to protect their business, they put money into a pool and that's how these guys get paid. And that's what August Mayford was. He was a, you know, he was a, a merchant policeman. A similar and he, model to like the mafia uses. In a way, in a way. But I don't think these guys were actually committing the crimes, right, right. as far as I know, anyway. Um, but, you know, he would go around and I had keys to all the businesses. And a lot of people, when downtown Alton was a really busy shopping area, they would leave those display lights on at night mm. in the windows in front. And then his job was to go around about 11 or 12 o'clock after, you know, everybody had gone home for the night and turn all those off. Yeah. So they would save the, the money and electricity. And uh, so the story was, was, was interesting to me. And I, I immediately, when I first heard the story, I assumed it was a police officer. So I started digging into the history of the Alton Police Department to find out, you know, had there been any police officers who'd been killed, anything like that. And... There hadn't, actually. There had been a couple who'd been murdered in the early 1900s. Um, both of them, one was an accident, I believe. The other had been shot to death by, by a criminal. And these were the only deaths I could find. And I thought, well, this doesn't make any sense. So why are people seeing a ghostly policeman? Maybe there's something else to the story. Well, I kept digging and finally found some old newspapers and the story of August Mayford. You know, this 1937 uh, story about this merchant policeman who just disappeared one night. And... Uh, I mean, this was almost, they found him, well, you know, almost almost exactly two weeks later. And to this day, there's never been any explanation as to what happened. I think the best explanation would be that, as they thought at the time, he might have interrupted a burglary. Right. And they grabbed him, snatched him up, threw him in the car. But why, A, why kill him? I mean, other than maybe he could identify him, maybe there were guys he knew. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that, that might explain it. But where was he for two weeks? Right, and they left his keys in his pocket. Yeah, apparently to yeah. All the, stores the only thing there. they did was take his gun, which if somebody had grabbed him when he interrupted him, I could see why they took his gun away. But why the rest? Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he had been in the middle of making his rounds. There were half his lights were still on. His wallet, his overcoat were, were still locked in that closet at the shoe store where they were supposed to be. Obviously, he didn't carry around money with him when he was on duty. Probably worried that he might get mugged or something. I mean, he was 66 years old. Right. And in 1937, 66 was a like was a hundred, a, a, an older age than it is now. Um, so, but he was reliable and he did his job, and yeah. nobody worried until he just didn't show up. That's why initially they thought maybe he was sick. You know, maybe he had a heart attack. Maybe he's in one of these stores. Um, nobody could get into the stores without contacting every single 
store owner, which must have been back then. It's not like you could text somebody. It was right. a logistical nightmare. So Monday morning comes, the cops show up and go, hey, if you found August Mayford laying in your back room, you know, and nobody had. <laughs> Let us know. Um, so why they killed him, you know, I, I have no idea. Um, he didn't have any money on him. Uh, maybe he recognized the guys. But, but again, where was he for two weeks? Yeah. You know, um, he'd been beaten up, badly beaten up. Uh, to the point that his head had been bashed in and they had shattered his false teeth. Mm. You know how many times you have to hit somebody in the face to break their false teeth? I oh, mean, probably a lot. I'd say a lot. And so if he wasn't already beaten into unconsciousness near death, they dump him out in a cornfield and shoot him eight times. Yeah. That's, that's like, I mean, yes, okay, maybe it was an automatic. If it wasn't, if it was a revolver, they shot him six times and then reloaded right. and shot him twice more. So it was probably an automatic. But even so, why do you shoot a 66-year-old guy that you've already beaten into unconsciousness? Right, and he's unarmed the, now. Yeah. yeah, who's unarmed, is, is out cold, and you shoot him eight times. Somebody either hated him before or grew to hate him in that two weeks. Right. Um, but what happened during that time? Well, nobody knows. Yeah. I mean, that has never been, none of those questions have ever been answered um so what happened to him i don't know so you know if that is his ghost and i i i i believe that it probably is i mean here's here's a ghost that's being seen at the last spot where he or right around the last spot that another cop had seen him that night and you know as you come down that hill and if you remember that hill it's kind of um behind the 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 ymca that's there that's yeah. sitting empty and there's a brick street, and it's it's really just an alleyway, and it comes down and it curves around and comes back from Third to Piazza, mm -hmm. and that's the last place he was seen was going turning going down that hill, and when you get to the bottom, there are two or three concrete steps right there that go to nowhere. Yeah, and it looks weird. I it mean, does. it's a weird spot. But if you know that that went into the back door of the Sears building, it right. makes a lot more sense, which was on his regular route that night. So. Yeah. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, someone was had broken into the Sears store. He walked in and found them in the middle of doing whatever, stealing whatever they could find, and that was the last place that he ended up that night. So, which would make sense as to why that's where his ghost turns up. So, right? I don't know. I mean, like I said, I haven't heard anything recently about it. Um, not last 10 years or so, but it went on for years. Well, it's funny because when I started reading more about this story, I started to think about it, and I was actually going to give a window of about, you know, there have been some numerous times in the past 10 years that I found myself stumbling around those similar Downtown areas. Alton, and yes. have probably been approached by police officers, and now I'm starting to think how many of them were real and how hey, many of them yeah, there's might a, have been there's a ghost. an idea. Yeah, that's a, there's a thought. Um, because, I mean, you know, I, I've had a lot of people, you know, ask me this over the years, and I can't give you a good answer. I mean, how many times do you think we've seen a ghost and not even known it? Right. Because they look just like you or me. I mean, they're solid as you or I. Most ghost sightings that you hear about are not wispy, ethereal beings. They, are, they look like a person until they're just not there anymore. Yeah. So how many times have we seen a ghost and never even known it? Because they look just like anybody else. Do you think, you know? Um, you know, say he's going around the same, you know, the last place that he was and kind of maybe, maybe he's just still doing his rounds, that sort of thing. Uh, this might be a weird question, but do you think ghosts know that they are dead? Do you think he's just reliving and doing, you know, whatever 
he his routine, whatever he yeah, found natural. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, it's possible that he is seen. I mean, maybe he's reliving his last moments. Maybe that is some kind of conscious spirit. I think that it's also a case of where he might. It might just be energy. That's why I kind of suggested the, you know, the idea that it's a, you know, some kind of residual kind of thing that people are seeing that maybe, you know, maybe they don't, it isn't like a, an actual ghost. What we would think of as, as an intelligent spirit. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe he's not reliving his moments. Maybe it's just his last moments turned out to be so terrible for him that they left an impression on that spot. That just and so, yeah, what, what people say that they have seen at that location may just be, you know, um, that energy sort of playing like an old film loop. Right. And I think a lot of those types of hauntings, I think they wear out over time. Mm. Um, I think that because it's energy that's impressed on the atmosphere of that spot for in I don't don't ask me to explain how because I don't so you're know. not going to get into the physics I, I, I don't know I don't know anything about physics all I go by is well I go by the history yeah and I go by places like and I think we've talked about this before I go by places like Gettysburg and prisons and and these horrific places where terrible events have happened and people will see things or they'll hear voices or footsteps and I I don't think that those are actual ghosts. I think it's it's a haunting, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's a ghost. I think it's just energy. And I and that may be the case with August Mayford's haunted spot on that corner. It may just be this energy there. And people are seeing this man yep. in a police uniform walking up those steps and just vanishing. And it's just a few snippets of film, mm -hmm. so to speak, that just plays and it replays and then it's gone. Right. And uh, that would be, if I had to guess, that that would be my best guesses, and would also explain because he certainly didn't get any resolution. Right. So it's not like his ghost finally got justice and no, oh, now he can rest in peace. Right. And you you hear those stories. I mean, hell, I've written those stories where you know the 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 ghost, the haunting stops because the you know the 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 killer was finally found. Mm -hmm. I mean that that that's, that happens. Um, in this case, we're never going to know. There are so many unanswered questions about that story. Yeah. Um, we don't know what happened to him. We don't know who killed him. We don't know where he was for two weeks. We don't know any of this. Um, but the haunting seems to have kind of faded away, um, which makes me think that it's energy. I mean, it's energy that's finally dissipated after all this time. I like that I felt the need to preface with, this might be kind of a weird question when we're talking about ghosts. <laughs> yeah, right. Goes by. right. Every question this is, is a It's still new to question. me to, to yeah. be talking about yeah. these things openly, and, and like it's, it's acceptable. Uh, so that leads me to another question then. So are there stories of any ghosts that like th just had a really, really happy experience, and now we see that on a loop? Oh, or yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, in fact, there are lots of stories. I mean, you get, you get both sides of the coin. I, I mean, I tend to focus... Which, I mean, I'm sure says a lot about me, but I tend to focus on stories that are dark. Right. I mean, I, I focus on stories that are, you know, murders and, and terrible things that have happened that have left an impression behind. Right. But you can find the other side of the coin just as often. Um, really? You can, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you find a lot of ghosts that remain behind at places that made them happy. Well, there, there's the little girl. If if oh. if a lot of that history about the Franklin House is true, she she died a very sudden death, which might explain why her ghost was left behind. 
but she stayed behind at a place that she was happy. Um, I find that a lot with theaters. Um, that oh, seems okay. to be like the number one. You don't find a lot of people murdered in theaters or right, you know committed suicides or, or yeah right or, or something terrible happened. What you often find are people who love the theater so much they didn't want to leave. Right. Um, you find a lot of. I mean, you could go through if you look up a list of haunted theaters, you'll find that ninety percent of them are stagehands, directors, actors, owners of the theater, people who built the theater in the first place just because they love the whole idea of it and they just never left uh, because this is what made them happy. And you find that a lot. I mean, I think a lot of haunted houses are not places that are haunted because people had a miserable life. Mm -hmm. You know, they stayed because this was a place where maybe they did have a fairly miserable life, but not there. They were happy in that spot. And uh, I always like to think that you can stay behind because you want to. Um, I don't know if that's true. Yeah. If it is, I'll let you know. Because yeah, I'll me, probably die before you do. And um, my, my thought on that is that if I can stay behind, I'm going to. And really? um, if I'm stuck at one certain place, I guess I'll find out. Right? You just want to haunt people. Is I that do. It? I really do. And I if, I, do if I have to stay at one spot, I guess that that's the way it goes. But if I don't have to, then, then I won't. You know? um, but I think that, I think that, if, that if that is the case, that... that Ghosts can stay behind because they want to stay behind, mm -hmm. and they choose a place that made them happy. And um, I mean, if you if you were going to be stuck for eternity, let's say you don't, we don't know what is after this, but let's say there's nothing after this. Yeah. Let's say that you're go, you're you either turn into nothingness, maybe your chances you turn into nothing, or you have a chance to stay here. Oh yeah, I'm here as out. a ghost that no one could ever see or maybe even ever have contact with. Yeah. But don't you want to stay someplace that you enjoyed? Yeah, you know, absolutely. unless you know, maybe you die under terrible circumstances and you're stuck. Right. You know, I mean, see, that's the thing. I can answer every question you ask me twenty-two different ways right. because no one knows. Yeah. No one knows. None of us will know until it's our turn to go. Then we'll go. Oh well, hell. You know, I gave all those stupid answers and this was it the whole time. You right. know, and that's that's where we're going to end up. You know, and so August Mayford. You know, I I. I Again, I'm not convinced that it's his actual spirit. I don't know where that ended up. Maybe it ended up at his house somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe nobody talks about it. Uh, but I think that there is a haunting connected to that corner uh, where he was last seen. And I think that's energy left behind. Um, when it comes to you know the other stories we talked about with Tom Boothby, um, here was a guy who left a very traumatic impression behind. Right. And I think that it says a lot about that story in that most of the time when people encounter the haunting, um, it has to do with the electrical energy of a thunderstorm. You know, I, I wonder if that part of the story came later. Because it really doesn't make any sense that Tom Boothby was only afraid that the ghosts of Indians were after him when it was raining. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But yet, as the years went by, people who heard the screams or encountered his ghost, that happened when it was raining. Right. So that might have something to do with the electrical energy in the air mm. that can make this haunting replay itself, like this film loop that I was yeah. talking about. And that would kind of make sense. Um, with the Franklin House, you know, going backwards to our first story, um, if that place truly was haunted, and I think it was based on the sheer number of of stories over the years, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that that little girl was exactly where she wanted to be. Yeah. And she's around people that she seemed to love, you know, at least according to the story, loved being around people. 
and um, she she stayed behind because she wanted to. That's that's you know I think that's what it boils down to in a nutshell. So these were my favorite stories. Yeah. I mean these were some of my favorite stories. These are good ones. that I couldn't fit into you know a, a single episode. You know it just not enough for a single episode. But now we put them into three, and this is probably the longest episode we've ever done. But hey, you know what? That's the way it the works people sometimes. demanded more. They content. demanded longer episodes. And we delivered. So we delivered. Absolutely. So there you go. Well, that about wraps it up. Then I, I would be very curious if any of our listeners have their own favorite ghost stories um, around town to let us know. You know, in the comments and. Tell us all about it and tell us more material that we now, can Now, keep in mind, we still have five more episodes to do about all this. So we it's do. possible your favorite story we might not have gotten to yet. That's, that's uh, very but true. We, we still, oh, is it four stories? I don't know. We've got more about all this. Numerous. Coming. But if you've got more, if you've got one you want to hear or uh, hear us talk about, pass it on. Yeah, we're, we're, let us know and I will silently judge. And then out in the comments, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you questions and then pick your brain about it. Uh, so that's great. It, it's interesting that I've been, since I started doing this podcast, I was kind of wondering if I'm studying this stuff more and if I'm talking about it and being more open, I was like, I'm going to end up being more susceptible to weird shit You're happening. You're going to be haunted by ghost children. And, I, I'm telling you, this is coming. And the thing so. is, it's been the exact opposite. <laughs> I've been, I'll sit in my living room sometimes to turn off the lights and I'm like, Okay, you know, hey, I'm here, and nothing ends up. Happening. I think I need to go on a yeah, tour. Yeah, maybe you, you need to come down with us some night when we're at one of these places, or we're at the Mineral Springs, or right? Because like I'm that, open to it. See what happens. I so. don't really want to be terrified, but you know, it would make for a good story, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, well, I think that that should probably wrap things up for this time. So um, I want to say to everybody out there, uh, I, well, I want to say to Cody first of all, thanks. Uh, because oh, this was, hey, listen, this we're in episode seven, and I don't know if I've said this or not, but this was all Cody's idea. Um, this was all him. He uh, he came to me. He had blackmail photos and told me <laughs> if I didn't do it. No, he's, I'm kidding. He uh, he asked me to do it, and I said, hey, what the hell? This is going to be fun, and we've had a blast doing this. Uh, so thanks to Cody, and thanks to all of you for listening. Um, we're going to ask you again. Uh, please, please, please share this with your friends. Uh, pass it on. We, you know, we put it on the Facebook page. We put it in the newsletter, um, and we, we, we really are seeing a great response from people. But you know, we can always. We'd love to have more. So please Absolutely. pass it on to everybody you know um, who has an interest in ghosts or an interest in Alton, and ask them to listen. Um, we've seen a, a great response from this, and uh, we will see even more. Uh, leave your reviews on iTunes. Uh, anywhere else that you listen, I don't think everybody does reviews the way iTunes does. So uh, even if you listen on some other format, go over to iTunes and yeah. <laughs> leave a review. Yep, that's the um, most and, uh, and listen to us on there. We, we love to have more reviews. And we love your feedback. Uh, we, we definitely want to hear from you. And uh, send us an email. Send us a message. Anything you want. Uh, love it, hate it. We don't care. Uh, we, we definitely want to hear you. And... Uh, we, we think you'll see uh, that a lot of that feedback is working its way into the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, I promise you we read all of the feedback. Whether or not we take it into consideration is a different thing, but we read all of it, and I really, <laughs> really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, see, the trick was I had to convince you that I knew what I was doing. Well, I think that was part of it. In the beginning. Of course, now I should mention that we spent two hours trying to figure out how yeah. to record this podcast today. But we don't talk I, about I'm convinced that. that he does know what he's doing. So I'll figure it out along the way. <laughs>
The purpose of this podcast is to combine historic record, folklore, scientific method, observation, and imagination in order to teach you a little bit more about America's most haunted places, including the town of Alton, Illinois. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Monday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and receive a brand new paranormal history lesson. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. Find Troy on Twitter at TroyTaylor13 and on Facebook by searching for the Troy Taylor author page or by going to Facebook.com slash AuthorTT. You can also check him out at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Some of the music in this episode was written and recorded by Charlie Brock at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois. Find them at LighthouseSounds.com.